You're listening to episode 49 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. I'm joined on the podcast today by Kate Mota-Ung. Like so many of the authors that I speak to, Kate has had her own questions and doubts about building a platform and holding on to her Christian faith. She is the author of the memoir, A Place to Land, A Story of Longing and Belonging, and releasing this week a new book specifically on platform entitled Influence, Building a Platform that Elevates Jesus, Not Me. I know from so many of my conversations with listeners that this is a topic that will really resonate, and I think you'll get as much out of it as I did in the conversation. Thanks for listening. Joining me on the podcast today is Kate Motaung. She is the author of the memoir, A Place to Land, A Story of Longing and Belonging, released this past spring. And she's joining me today because it's the launch week for her new book that she co-authored with Shannon Popkin entitled Influence, Building a Platform that Elevates Jesus, Not Me. Kate also runs a marketing agency, Refine Services, where she helps authors refine their message and reach their target audiences. She's a perfect fit. I got an advanced copy of the book, Influence, and have to say I really, really enjoyed it. So, Kate, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Chase. Well, uh, first of all, maybe you, before we jump into the book, uh, maybe you could give us a little context for how you got started in writing and, uh, and kind of where you've been over the last few years in that journey. Sure. Yeah, I started writing somewhat accidentally, uh, meaning that I lived in Cape Town, South Africa for about 10 years. And during that time, my mom was diagnosed with cancer in Michigan. And I found that writing actually was a great way for me to just process everything that was going on. I mostly wrote for myself at that time and didn't write for an audience, but it was really just for therapeutic purposes, to be honest. And then after a while, I used it as a hobby to almost distract me from the circumstances, which may or may not have been a good thing to do, but it turned out to be a great blessing to me as I processed my mom's sickness and eventually her passing. And some of those writings ended up in my memoir, A Place to Land. So the Lord was able to use that, even though it started out for somewhat selfish purposes. One of the things I know that inevitably we we all face as we're beginning that writing process, well, maybe the best way to say it is, as soon as you say you want to be a writer, the first question you get asked is, how's your platform? <laughs> Which mm-hmm. at first can be a little bit of a jarring experience. Uh, there's this tension, and I think Christian authors feel it. I know all authors do, but particularly Christians do, which is kind of what you hint at in this book, building a platform that elevates Jesus, not me. I think most of the listeners who are practicing writing are probably familiar enough to know that tension, but maybe you could describe the tension that Christian influencers, whether they're writers or speakers or, or even in many cases, pastors, ministry leaders, they face whenever they're tasked with building a platform, but doing it in a way that highlights Christ, not themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really the crux of this book. And as you mentioned, in today's world, particularly with publishers and even literary agencies, one of the first questions you get asked is, how big is your platform? Meaning, how many social media followers do you have? How many email subscribers? How much website traffic? And for valid reasons, they, they need to sell the product at the end of the day, so it makes sense. But the tension comes when, as Christians, we feel that sense of, okay, if I want to get this message out that I believe God has given me to share, I have to follow the steps that the publisher or the literary agent is telling me I have to do, and yet that would require me promoting myself. And scripturally, as a Christian, I'm called to humble myself 
and elevate Christ. And so the rub comes with, morally speaking, how can we actually promote ourselves in good conscience when we're called to follow the one who made himself nothing and calls us to imitate him? Yeah, I think it's a tension all of us inevitably experience. And I think it's one that is a part of that process of coming to writing is trying to figure your way into it. And I think it can be slightly different depending on who you are and your own personality traits. But um, I had an agent tell me, um, you know, as I was kind of processing this in a conversation, that the, the tension is always there. And as long as you have the tension, you're in a better place than if the tension doesn't exist, right? Uh, yes. It's part of the process is holding on to that tension and trying to find your way through it. Absolutely. And we mentioned that in the book, too, with my co-author, Shannon Popkin, that this tension actually is a good thing, that it's good to wrestle. And as soon as you don't feel the tension, perhaps it's time to reflect on why, because in a sense, we never actually arrive at a place where we can feel, oh, I've got this mastered. I'm good enough. I'm good. You know, I, I don't need to wrestle with that anymore, that it needs to be there so that we're constantly asking the Lord am I doing this for the right reasons? And am I doing this for his glory and not my own? Because as we all know, our hearts are deceitful and we can very easily slip down that slope without intending to. One of the things that's helped me is um, I've heard different analogies because when you say the word platform, um, instantly what comes to mind is an actual physical platform. Usually it's a stage and usually there are lights and usually there's an audience and you're the person on the stage in front of everyone. Um, but different authors have suggested different analogies, different ways of thinking what a platform is. So I've heard before you should think of your platform as an altar. It's the place that you you sacrifice yourself, your story, you sort of put yourself out there. But you use the analogy in the book of a, a lifeguard stand. It's right on the cover of the book. I know it's one of the driving principles for it, but maybe you could give a little explanation for what that analogy is and how it came about for you. Sure. Well, as I was thinking on this topic, uh, and particularly relating to some of the fears that people face when it comes to platform building, I started thinking about the fact that as Christians, we hold the life rings in a desperate and drowning world. And you've probably heard that analogy in a sermon or somewhere that, you know, if you're standing on a boat and people are in the water with no life ring and no life jacket, how selfish would it be to stand there with something that could potentially save them and not be willing to give it out to them? And so in a sense, uh, if we are followers of Christ and we have the truths of scripture and of his word, you know, who are we to not give that out and to not want to share what we've been given first? And so in that sense, I believe it's so important and hopefully motivating to think that you know, God could use that just to help someone who's struggling, to encourage them, to ease their burden if we would just not give in to the fears of what will people think or what if they reject me, but to offer that as a means of, of grace and um, that God would use that even though we are broken and sinful people, that he would see fit to use that as a way to help other people. So that's one way. Um, secondly, when people see a lifeguard stand, they don't usually think of the person standing on it or sitting on it as someone high and lifted up or someone of greater importance or status than themselves. They just see someone who's doing their job, right? And yet a lifeguard is someone who is elevated on a platform or on a stand for the purpose of being able to better serve the people that they are watching out for, the people in the water. And so 
uh, Shannon Popkin and I enjoy using this analogy to help people think of a platform as a place that we can serve from and be more strategically in line with being able to offer what it is that we have to share with people who might be in need. I think it's a really helpful image because you're right. Most of us don't on a beach or at a pool. We don't look up at a lifeguard and think that's sort of the thing I aspire to be. And, you know, if only I could be that lifeguard, like we're there because we're enjoying the water and we're thankful they're there keeping our kids and us safe. And so to recognize that my role as, as a writer is can be something like that. It's not people are aspiring to the fame that I have, but rather I've been given this elevated view to be able to speak to what's happening so that hopefully it impacts people's lives, not that they might just become like me or I might become like someone even higher than me. Yes, exactly. Oh, at what point did you recognize that this was a book idea? And and I love the fact that it's co-written because I, I think it's one of those topics that needs so, multiple voices sort of <laughs> diverging and, uh, together and, and cutting apart and kind of seeing people's different perspectives from different angles. But I know as a writer, it's something you've personally worked through. We can get into that in a moment as well, too. But at what point did you say, okay, I think what we're having in this conversation should be developed out in a book to to share it with more people? Yeah, that was actually the Lord's provision as well. Um, Both Shannon and I, separate from each other, each pitched a breakout session proposal to the Breathe Christian Writers Conference that takes place in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we had both pitched very similar ideas on the topic of platform building as Christians. And the conference, we didn't know this, obviously, that we had done this, but uh, the conference saw our proposals and responded to us by asking if we would consider presenting on the topic together, along with Ann Croker, a writing coach, who had also pitched the similar proposal. So the three of us agreed to do that. And we're very happy to do that together in October of 2017 was when this happened. So as the three of us got on Zoom calls together to plan and prepare for our session, uh, Shannon and I just really realized that we were finishing each other's sentences and very like-minded along the particularly the principles of spiritual issues related to platform building. Um, And then Anne took more of the practical issues that come along with it. And so as we prepared for the session, Shannon and I both felt, wow, we are thinking very similarly on this issue. And we didn't say anything at the time. And I went away and thought, oh, I wonder if this could be developed into something further. But I had never co-authored a project with anyone. And I thought, that might be tricky and get complicated and I don't want to tarnish a friendship in that way. But then Shannon came to me and said, Hey, I've been thinking and praying and I wondered if you'd like to do a project like this with me. And so we prayed some more about it and ended up deciding to go ahead with it. Well, one of the things I know the book does is it works through, I mean, I think this is one of the the sort of opening chapters is the idea of fear. And you've already alluded to it as well, that a lot of what what keeps authors from building platform or and really I think what happens is it sort of just stalls us in the process. We know there's something we need to be doing on this platform thing, but we're not sure how to how to get into it sort of our way or an honest way. And you've hinted at the fact that one of the things that can motivate that are, are various fears that keep us from being able to start the work. Um, what are some of the fears? I know you outlined some in the book, but some that come to mind for you as well. Some of the common fears that keep authors from being able to make moves forward in their platform. Yeah, I think this is a really key issue and a primary reason that that keeps people from going forward, as you mentioned. Um, Even when I've asked people on social media, you know, what what keeps you from building a platform? The answers come in various ways, but they all boil down to some underlying fear, such as 
a fear of being rejected or a fear of what other people will think of us, um, a fear of being wrongly perceived or misunderstood. Many people fear the negative responses and the nasty comments and the trolls on social media, or it can often just boil down to a a fear of failure as well. But it comes in countless forms, and yet the underlying sense that I get is often a fear of man and what other people will think of us or say about us. Yeah, that was one of the ones from the list that really resonated with me was the fear of being wrongly perceived is the way that you phrased it in the book. And Mm -hmm. uh, I know personally, uh, especially early on, it's kind of like the fact you're not doing it can make that fear even worse. But you sort of you play out all the scenarios and assume that the moment you sort of put your name out there, people are going to think you're conceited or pretentious or self-absorbed or uh, regardless if you're even writing against those things, just by sort of putting stuff out there in writing, there's this fear that people are going to mischaracterize it or misjudge it. And I know for me, that was a big one, especially early on, that just sort of stalled me in the process. Yes. And yet, you know, is that really what God wants for us? If he's given us the gifts and the message that he has for each individual, does he want us to just be stalled in that place where we never actually make it out of the driveway to bring people what we think he's calling us to deliver and to to share with other people. Yeah, and this is part of what you tackle in the book too, are, are breaking apart some of these fears and finding ways, and they're not just tactical ways, you know, you know, say, say these three positive phrases to yourself every morning. You're really uh-huh. trying to find Christ-honoring ways that help authors address these underlying fears that helps you begin to speak with a more confidence, to continue the writing, as we've been saying, not to get stalled in these fears at the beginning. Um, how is it that Christians go about doing that in a Christ-honoring way? You know, I think a lot of it boils down to our identity in Christ and often forgetting who we are in Christ as His children and forgetting what the Bible says about who we are. And you know, if we remember who it is that we're seeking to please and honor it becomes a little bit easier, not necessarily easy, but a little bit easier um, to have a little more confidence in the sense of wanting to please the Lord instead of fearing what other people think. And there's that verse in Galatians about, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? And you know, the Apostle Paul often talks about that theme of seeking man's approval versus seeking God's approval. And so because so many of the fears boil down to what other people think, I think if that's the issue that we're struggling with, we we really need to pray and ask the Lord to reveal to us even what idols do we have? What are we elevating above Him in terms of what other people, how other people regard us versus how God regards us? And I think if we truly believe what the Bible says about our identity in Christ, about being chosen and forgiven and called and equipped. If he has equipped us and gifted us, then he has also, um, excuse me, if he has called us and gifted us, then he's also equipped us to do those works that he has prepared in advance for us to do, as Ephesians mentioned. So, you know, he wouldn't give us the gifts or the calling and then not equip us to be able to bring it out. And yet often we succumb to those fears or those internal voices that keep us from being obedient and faithful to to the work that he's called us to do. So I think a lot of it boils down to just self-reflection and prayer and asking the Lord to reveal to us what it is that 
who it is that we're trying to please at the end of the day. Yeah, and this is um you you wrote the chapter on pride in the book, which is one of the things that makes this conversation so complicated because um as many people know, pride can work itself out in sort of the ostentatious, obvious ways, uh, the mm-hmm. sort of self-indulgent ways, but pride can also be lurking in what are sometimes characterized as these fears, the fears of how I'm going to be perceived by other people can sometimes be a pride that doesn't want to be vulnerable or doesn't want to be beaten up, but protects itself. And and so to me, that was one of the things the book does really well, because it, it's easy to write a book that says, you know, believe in better for yourself, get over your fears, take the next big steps. But you also take the time to warn about the subtle ways in which pride, um, I think you call it a respectable sin, the subtle ways that it can still work itself into even even some of this platform where you think you're doing it for Christ, you think you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, you've got, if I could read just a couple sentences from your chapter, you write at one point, if we're honest with ourselves and with God, most of us would confess that we like positive attention. Even if we're the type of person who hates the spotlight, I'm guessing you would still agree that deep down it feels nice to be known. You've got known in italics, and I think that's a big part of the subtlety of this pride thing that works in. Um, what is it that Christian authors need to be paying attention to when it comes to recognizing the subtlety of how pride works when we're doing platform work? Yeah, I would say it needs to be a daily, if not hourly conversation with the Lord asking him about to, to check our motives and to search our hearts and to reveal in us, why are we doing what we're doing? Um, because as you said, it's so subtle and it can happen so fast, even when you set out with godly motives, even though our motives in this life will never be completely pure. But even when we set out to do something to serve someone else, there's always that hint of what I what's in it for me and what will I get out of it as well. And that could come in the form of Facebook likes or comments or website traffic or you know, an opportunity to speak somewhere or whatever. It can come in a a variety of forms. And yet it can, that, that switch can flip so quickly where you set out thinking that I'm going to do this for God. And suddenly it comes back on, Oh, look at how nice this benefit is for me. Um, and yet we don't often think about pride as seriously as God does. And I think that is the danger that you know, the scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And there are many examples in scripture about how seriously God takes that pride. And so I think we would do well as Christian writers and speakers to take it seriously as well. I mean, we think of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, how the people of that time said, you know, let's build ourselves a city and a tower. And it actually says in that verse, they said, let us make a name for ourselves. And I thought to myself, isn't that exactly what we are trying to do when we say we're setting out to build a platform? Are we not trying to make a name for ourselves? And yet God frustrated their language and he would honestly do well to do the same for us if our if our motive is to build, make a name for ourselves and not to elevate his name. So I think that's one of the areas that it's easy to just dismiss and think it's not such a big deal. But it's almost always present, and God does take it very seriously, and so I think we should as well. There's so many, the Bible has so many of these great examples of how subtly pride works itself in, and Babel being such a a striking one. I also think of the story of David, 
uh, as he's sort of he's conquered Jerusalem and he's putting together his administration is what he's doing. And he goes and gets the ark, which had been, of course, lost and then sort of stashed away in a house. And David puts together this big parade. He's leading the ark back into Jerusalem and they've put it on a cart, which it's not supposed to. And David's apparently out in front of this procession with music and singers and dancers and there's the story of Yazah who reaches up and touches the ark to steady it when the ox stumbles and he's struck dead by it. And, yeah. and David goes away frustrated. It says he's mad. They literally throw it in another house and he leaves. And some time goes by and David finally, I think he finally recognizes what had been happening, but he goes back the next time and it says that he's wearing a linen ephod. It's the same phrase that's used of the garment Hannah sews for Samuel. It's a, mm. it's a, just a common servant's garment in the temple. And he, he goes before the Lord and he leads the procession now, not as a royal king with his conquest into his royal city, but the second time he's reading it, leading it as kind of like a worship leader, like more humble. And of course, his wife, uh, who's Saul's daughter, sort of rebukes him for all this and says, you hardly look like a king, you know, dressed like that mm. out in front of everyone. But I think what David recognized is even though he was doing this really remarkable thing in Israel's history, returning the ark to Jerusalem, he was doing it with himself at the front of the parade. He was doing it dressed as the king, dressed as the conqueror. And he still did the same action. He still brought it into Jerusalem. But the way he dressed himself and presented himself in that moment changed. And for me, that's always been a really powerful one too. Of It's not always just the action I take, but sometimes the way in which I insert myself into it or view myself in that action can be the thing that differentiates pride from humility. The Bible's full of these kinds of stories. Um, what yeah. role What role have other people played in helping you recognize that? Because I know for me, one of the biggest things has been people around me who know me well enough to know that they will call me out if I begin to cross that line or if they see mm -hmm. bits of that pride sneaking out that shouldn't be there. Have relationships been important for you? Yeah. I mean, when you mentioned that, I'm thinking particularly of my husband because he knows me best and he'll sometimes get the emails that I'll send to my email subscribers and he'll open it up and say, who are you trying to sound like there? Because that did not sound like you. And so it happens once in a while where he'll call me out on that. Or maybe, you know, if I'm trying to tell people about one of my books and I'll give them an offer, an opportunity, and he'll say, man, you were, you know, you were pretty bold to say it like that. You, you could have said it some other way. And so that's been very helpful. And of course, I become defensive for a few <laughs> minutes and try to try to defend my reasoning. And then I realized that, yeah, he was right. So it's good, as you said, to have people like that who are willing. And I think we should strive to be that for each other, too, as the body of believers, because even with King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, who had so much influence and reach and people under him, and yet he talks about how he did it for his own glory and his own majesty, not God's. And God humbled him and made him eat grass like a wild beast, you know, and he had to learn that lesson the hard way. And I think God is so gracious to give these, give us these examples from scripture like David that you shared to learn from ourselves now so that we can make the adjustments and encourage one another to humble ourselves as, as Christ did ultimately. At what point, some of the, the things we're talking about, about how you think about platform now, uh, personally, how did that develop for you? How did how did you sort of change perspective and begin to, to think differently about platform building personally as an author, working through your memoir, some of your other writing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I started out much like I suspect others do when you 
feel that you have a book in you and you want to go through the process of getting that book published. So you knock on doors at literary agencies and various publishers and often get the same response, like your platform isn't big enough. And so I had gotten that response and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do what I need to do to fix this then. And I'm going to make a plan and do what I have to do to get my numbers up so that I can get this book published. And it became very much an obligation to me. And it was a lot more about the numbers and trying to grow the statistics to win over the favor of a publisher or a literary agent. And it was a sense of duty and I was not enjoying it. And I think a lot of people who view it that way feel the same way where it's, it's just, a dr- they dread it and it's drudgery and they don't want to do it. And then someone helped me to shift my perspective and they said, use your, use social media and use your platform as an opportunity to serve, to serve your audience, to serve your readers, to see what do you have to offer that could help someone else. And as soon as I made that shift in my mind, platform building for me became much less of an obligation and much more of an opportunity to build other people up instead of myself and to serve other people with what I think they might need, whether they've expressed that to me. And I've asked in surveys and in various posts, hey, you know, what would be most helpful to you? And then I try to provide that type of content or encouragement that would meet needs of people that might be reading my blog or in a Facebook group that I'm in. So that was, I'm very thankful for that shift because it really has, has helped my perspective a lot. And I think it's a much more Christian approach to it than trying to gain numbers for yourself. Yeah, I completely agree. This idea of serving an audience or just um, uh, being willing to treat it as ministry. The other side of the platform piece for me that I I didn't expect, but I've I've come to enjoy is sometimes you'll think of sort of like professional relationships or, you know, as an author, you have to seek out certain endorsements for your book. So it's, you know, who's the biggest name author I can find for an endorsement. And, and I know the trap of sort of going down that road. You've got the spreadsheet of people you're going to reach out to mm-hmm. and how do you get yeah. to them? And, and so it can all start feeling really slimy. But um, I've also started to develop just getting to know people through social media or through the podcast who would be considered influencers or endorsers. And and I have to say, I found most of them are very, very normal, humble people. And just getting to know them has been one of the real joys of this process, not even so that I can just get an endorsement or so that I can have access to a bigger audience, but sort of finding my way into new relationships, professional relationships, writer relationships. Um, it turned out not to be nearly as, as sort of uh, uh, uncomfortable as I thought. And it's really been one of the joys of the process. How much of, of that experience serving, serving an audience, but then also for you, how much of platform is as well developing out these personal or professional relationships? Yeah, I can attest to the same that it has been such a blessing to me to meet people online who have become genuine, sincere friends. And I'm so grateful for that. And um, I have a community online called Five Minute Friday, which encourages and equips Christian writers. And we provide a one word prompt every week where people can free write for five minutes flat on that given prompt. And even just from that community, I've been able to meet so many people. And I love supporting other authors so much. I I do it just for fun, not for any other reason than I love supporting other authors when their books come out. And so I've been doing that for years as a blogger and 
sharing posts and book reviews and Amazon reviews just because I love to support them and I love reading their work and celebrating with them. And I was doing that for years, not even knowing that one day I would have a book of my own that released. And when it came time, as you mentioned, to have that spreadsheet with the endorsement requests, I still got a sick stomach, sick feeling in my stomach when I had to send out those requests. And yet people responded so generously and so favorably, I think, because we had relationship with each other, that it wasn't my initial intention to become friends with them for that purpose at all. But the Lord really used it to be an encouragement to me and to show an example of generosity within the body where people who had so much else going on, you know, people who, for example, Liz Curtis Higgs was going through chemotherapy and she agreed to endorse my book while she's the author of countless books of her own and was going through chemo. And her yes just demonstrated such a generosity to me that I hope to one day be able to replicate if other people would give the same request of me one day. So for me, it's been a wonderful way to see the body building each other up and supporting one another. Yeah, I found if you can if you can be a person and you're not just pitching people products, I found people to be incredibly generous, incredibly kind and and helpful. Um, it's really been one of the joys of the process for me as well. Yeah. Um, when you think about platform, oftentimes there's sort of a a cliche image of what that's going to mean. It's a massive social media following. We've already kind of alluded to this. It's an email list with lots of numbers and lead offers on your website. And then it's, you know, some po- blog posts going viral, like some combination of these sort of stock platform items. When you're working with authors or coaching them into platform building, um, what are ways that authors can personalize their approach to platform versus viewing it as you've sort of already alluded to as, as just sort of requirements that they have to do? How do, how do you make that process personal and feel like it's true to who you are as an individual? Mm-hmm. I think being real with people, not pretending to be someone who you're, who you are not. Like I mentioned my husband occasionally reading an email newsletter and asking me, who am I trying to sound like? So he can catch that. And one of the goals that I would then set for myself is, you know, how can I just sound like myself and sound normally as if I'm writing to a friend as opposed to writing to a statistic or a number of a subscriber on my list. But to have those relationships and to find out what are people looking for? You know, what, what do they need? If you happen to already have Facebook groups that you're part of, or um, we do a, a weekly Twitter party on Twitter for five minute Friday, and we connect with each other weekly. And so It's a regular connection. We're part of each other's lives to the extent that you can be when it's an online relationship. But asking people how you can pray for them, what what needs do you have right now? And really keeping that theme of seeking to serve people with what you have to give. And also keeping in mind that, you know, the gifts that you've been given are not the same and the circumstances and situations and place that God has, has placed you right now is not the same as the next person. And so not to try to be something or someone else if that's not the assignment that you've been given, but to be faithful and obedient to where you are placed and the people that you do have in front of you to serve and to not get caught up with what the next person is doing. I think that alone can be a big, a big help when it comes to trying to be authentic and sincere. 
Yeah, hearing some of the things that are working can be a big trap that you have to just sort of replicate all of them. Are there certain platforms for you that have felt more natural for who you are as a person that have played kind of a central role in, in platform? Yeah, I still really like Facebook. I know Facebook is kind of a lot of people are moving away from it, but um, I find that's just, I think my advice would be you know, find out where your people are. I know some people just love Twitter. Others are crazy about Instagram. I, I still like Facebook. And so find out where the people are that you're trying to serve. And that may be different depending on the demographics of your target audience as well. But find what works for you. Find what you enjoy. And it, it goes along with that same theme that it doesn't have to be an obligation. It can be it can be fun. You know, it can be a great way to build relationships and to interact with each other in that way. Yeah, a couple of, well, it's been about a year and a half ago, Mick Silva, who's been a guest on the podcast and I did some coaching with, he um, he and I were working through platform for for my writing and, and I was trying to find my way into, okay, is it blogging? Is it, you know, I'm a pastor, I'm already writing a sermon every week. So, okay, a blog or two every week. Like, what does that look like yeah. in my life? And he said, you know, you should do a podcast and just talk to people because you love, and I do, I enjoy these kind of conversations. And so it, it, it was a key moment for me because it helped me recognize, okay, I'm going to have to have social media accounts, but I can bias or lean into the part of the platform that fits who I am and integrates into my life and feels most natural. And for me, I've loved podcasting because I enjoy the conversation piece of it. And so I'm always encouraging people like you'll get there, you'll get the, you need an email list, you'll get the social media accounts. But if there's something that feels comfortable, it feels like you, that feels like your voice, lean into that part of the platform as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have to be everywhere because the reality is nobody has time to do everything well either. We don't have time. We don't have the energy and it's, it, it can be like spinning our wheels. So to find the one, and it might take some time to figure out which, which platform it is for you. But once you find it, then be there, you know, do what you can to be there and to serve there and not feel as though, Oh, I have to be doing everything everywhere, which I think is another trap that sometimes people fall into. Well, maybe a good way for us to wrap up is um, if you could give some advice, you know this um, this audience member very well because to the books for, I think, somebody who's wrestling right now with their own platform, wrestling with how to get into it, how to do it faithfully. Um, what's some advice you would give about, about first steps, beginning that process, which of course, one of which would be read the book, right? We'll get to that and maybe at the <laughs> end as well too. But advice you would give for just beginning to make those first steps and growing more comfortable with what that work is ahead. Sure. I think, I think the first thing is to start by figuring out why you're doing what you're doing and whether it's writing or speaking or ministry opportunities, why are you doing it and who are you doing it for? Those are big questions that sometimes people skip over. I have skipped over them in the past and just rushed headlong into various projects without really pausing for those questions. So asking why you're doing it, what is your motivation and once you're able to answer those questions, then to figure out who your target audience is. And, you know, that sounds like a very formal and detached term, but if you can even picture one or two or three people that you know, either personally or online, you know them well, and you know what they need. And if you're able to offer something that they need, that's even better. So figure out who you're trying to reach, what is it that you have that you can help someone with, either it, whether it's um, a podcast like this or you know, offering people hope who are depressed or whatever it might be. 
it could be anything. Um, figuring out who you're trying to serve is a big one. And then once you figure that out, use every opportunity to serve those people and try to be clear about what it is that you're doing. Um, if you decide, you know, I'm starting a, a blog for people who struggle with depression, for example, then try to stick with that theme and help, help, other people recognize you as that place to go when they're struggling for depression, as opposed to giving them, you know, crockpot recipes when they think that you're supposed to be helping them with depression. So being clear about your purpose um, really helps to draw people because they'll start to think of you as someone that they can trust on that topic. And if you're really seeking to serve people and to provide valuable and helpful content and resources in a God-honoring way that doesn't always point to yourself, then I think people will naturally gravitate toward that and toward what you have to offer. Um, so it doesn't have to be as complicated as we often make it out to be. A lot of it is just seeing the need and then seeking to fill those needs in a humble and an, in a sincere way. Yeah, I think it's a uh, it's a great book. I would really recommend it, and like so much of the advice in this conversation as well too. It's it's practical, so a lot of the information you give is is hands on, it's actionable, but at the same time, it's it's wise, it's thoughtful, it's obviously well learned from your own experience. And so, I would highly recommend people pick up a copy of it. Of course, the book we're talking about influence building a platform that elevates Jesus not me. Kate, what's the best way if people want to find out more about the book, but also your memoir, other writing projects, your services, what's the best way for them to be able to connect with you? Sure. My personal website is katemotaung.com. So first name and last name. And then that writing community that I mentioned is at fiveminutefriday.com. Great. And I'll make sure we'll have links up in the show notes. And uh, just wanted to say thanks again for your willingness to share your own story, to talk through and and just uh, to expose some of the things so many of us writers deal with and to be honest about them and help encourage us in the way. I, I, I hope the book does as well as I ho- know it will. And I've enjoyed enjoyed being able to read it. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 49. There you'll be able to find links to Kate's book on influence as well as her memoir and also follow her on social media. Uh, I'd like to continue to keep asking if you haven't already, leave a review of the podcast. A review is the best way for me to be able to get feedback about the show and to continue improving it and also to help new listeners discover it. For those of you who have, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do it. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.